please do open up the Bible at Acts chapter 11, um, at those verses from 19 to 26, and let's pray as we come to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Father, we thank you for the book of Acts, and we thank you for the rich history that it gives us of the church, but we thank you that it also speaks to our present situation and that you speak through it. And so we would ask this morning that as we come to look at this short passage, that you would speak to us a word we need to hear. And may we leave here having heard from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As many of you know, a few weeks ago I was in the USA and my last meal on US soil was at the wonderful establishment called Chick-fil-A. We don't have it here, but Chick-fil-A, they have the highest quality of chicken sandwich burger you could get. They don't do chips, they do waffle fries. They've got this wonderful Chick-fil-A special sauce and the lemonade it is to die for. And they don't open on a Sunday, so if you wanted to go after church, you couldn't. It is wonderful, and I really highly recommend and encourage it to you. But this isn't an advert for Chick-fil-A this morning. No, the, the founder of Chick-fil-A, he was a, a wonderful leader. And at a leadership conference, he was asked this question. How can you identify someone who needs to be encouraged? And his answer was this, if they're breathing. If someone is breathing, he said, then you can guarantee that they need to be encouraged. And that's true, isn't it, folks? We all need to be encouraged, don't we? Because life, it can be so discouraging. And my guess is that as we sit here this morning, that every single one of us, for very different reasons, are sitting here discouraged. Maybe this morning you're discouraged by your family, by the way things are at home, by the way things are with your grandkids or your nieces or your nephews. Maybe you're discouraged this morning because of how things are in your family. Or maybe you sit here discouraged, discouraged by your career or your job or how things are in work. Maybe that's what's discouraging you this morning. Or maybe you're here and you're just fatigued, you're just worn out, you're just exhausted. And because of sheer because of being exhausted, you're just discouraged because of that. Or maybe you're here and you're just overwhelmed. So many things on your plate and you don't even know where to begin to deal with them. So many things and they're just overwhelming you and you don't feel like you're doing anything well. And you feel discouraged. Or maybe it's failure this morning. Maybe you're just aware of your failure. Maybe you look back on, on things that have gone before and you recognize your failure in certain things and you're discouraged or, or maybe you're doing something just now and you're failing in an area that you really want to succeed in and you feel discouraged. I hope I haven't brought you down this morning. <laughs> but my guess is it's a reality for all of us. We all sit here this morning as people who in some area of life, or maybe multiple areas of life, or maybe just in life in general, we sit here as people who face discouragement. And maybe this morning, it's not actually situations that have discouraged you, but maybe it's just been other people. <laughs> you know, there, there are people 
and I don't know how they do it, but they are able to, to say the most discouraging things just off the top of their tongue. <laughs> They're experts at raining on people's parades. They're experts at finding the thing to criticize. We all know those people, don't we? People, and it's like they have this spiritual gift of discouragement. <laughs> They're difficult to be around those people, aren't they? Maybe this morning you're discouraged because someone who's like that has said something to you and it's just brought you down and brought you low and taken away your enthusiasm or your courage or your strength. We all sit here this morning as people who face discouragement. But do you know what the church is meant to be? Do you know what this family is meant to be? This is meant to be a place and a community where we find encouragement. This is meant to be a place where we come on a Sunday and by talking to one another or by listening to the sermons or the, the songs, this is meant to be a place where we find encouragement and where we encourage one another. That's what we're actually commanded to do in the scriptures. Paul writes this, he says this, and this is God's word. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Listen, church, family in Thessalonica, you are to encourage each other. Listen, church, at 244 Ravenhill Road in Belfast, <laughs> you are called to encourage one another. Encourage. It's spelled E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E, but I think there is a better spelling for encourage, and it's the way we pronounce it in Northern Ireland, encourage. That gets to the heart of what it means to encourage. Encourage, it's to put courage into one another. It's to put strength into one another. It's to give each other some invigoration again. I love this definition of encouraging. It's to, have an in, to make an intentional effort to make another person strong. It's to intentionally try to strengthen someone else. It's to put encouragement into their life. Now maybe you're listening to me going, okay Marty, what on earth has this got to do with Acts chapter 11? Well, it's got quite a lot to do with it. Because in Acts chapter 11, what we see is we see encouragement in action. So in Acts chapter 11, there, there's a number of things to see. The first thing we see is some action. We, we see the context to this encouragement. So what we find at, in, in verse 19 is we find normal Christians like you and I, and they've been persecuted in Jerusalem, and so they've, they've got away from Jerusalem to escape the persecution that's there for the church. And so they've gone out into different towns and into different villages and they're making a new life in those places. And if you have a look at the text, in verse 19, you'll see that some of these normal Christians from a Jewish background are telling Jews about Jesus. You see that there in verse 19. And then if you have a look in verse 20, you see that they're also telling the Gentiles, they're telling the Greeks, and they've gone to a place called Antioch to do this. So the context is that normal Christians like you and I as they've moved to new cities, are telling people about Jesus. 
Now let me just take a, a little quick side street before we get back onto the main path. Sometimes uh, one of the dangers with having a minister or with having paid staff in a church is that we think it is only their job to tell others about Jesus. When it comes to telling others about Jesus, it's kind of up to the professionals, but us normal Christians, well, our job is to encourage them <laughs> and pray for them, but it's, it's not to do that sort of thing. But here, right in front of us in, in Acts chapter 11, what we see is that it was everyday normal Christians who were telling others about Jesus. And I know that's hard for us, and I know that's difficult, and I know sometimes we don't know where to start, and that's why we're running this spiritual conversations workshops. It's to equip you, to give you some tools to be able to tell others about Christ. So again, it's just another plug, but D, please do sign up. Anyway, that's the action, okay? They're going to these different places, and they're telling others about Jesus. Now, if you have a look at verse 20, the city that's mentioned there is a city called Antioch. And Antioch, if you want a modern-day equivalent, it's like Las Vegas. Antioch is sin city. The people in Antioch were known for their immoral lifestyles. They were known for their worship of multiple gods. Antioch was like Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was sin city. Uh, and the followers of Jesus, they started telling people in Sin City all about Christ and something incredible and amazing and wonderful happened. Have a look with me at verse 21. It says there, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. As these normal Christians told normal people about Jesus, the Lord's hand was on them. God was at work behind the scenes in such a powerful way that many people came to believe the Lord. Friends, I wonder do we believe that the Lord would use us in such a way? Because I think we should. I'm convinced, actually, that if we started to tell people about Jesus, I'm convinced that we would see people come to faith in Christ. Because that's what God has promised to do. He's promised to work powerfully through the gospel to bring people into his family. Wouldn't it be great if in a year's time, we could say that in the past year, the Lord has been at work powerfully through us to bring people to faith in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if next February sitting in these pews were people who this time last year didn't know anything about Jesus and this time next year are following him with all their hearts? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Anyway, that's what happened in Antioch. The, the Christians went out and they told people about Jesus and lots of normal people with this Sin City background became followers of Christ. But here's the issue. They don't know how to live as Christians. They don't know how to follow Jesus. Their background is wild living and, and now they're not sure how to follow Christ. How do they live for Jesus? How do they obey Jesus in a, in a world that doesn't want to? It's a fight. It's a struggle. These new Christians are in a world that does not want them to live for Jesus and yet they want to. And so there's this struggle going on in their lives. 
And not only that, but these new Christians, they would have found it hard to fit in in Sin City. They were turning away from sin when the culture was saying to turn towards it. They would have found it difficult in their families. Their, their families would have been following all of these other gods and they were saying, I'm only following one. It would have been difficult for these new believers as they got established in their faith. And so what's the solution? Well, when news reaches Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem sends someone to Antioch. And if you have a look at verse 22, you'll see who it is. It's a man named Joseph. Do you see it in the text? You don't, sure you don't. Because the name Joseph isn't actually there. It's the name Barnabas is there. But Barnabas was just a nickname. Barnabas' real name was Joseph. And in Acts chapter 4, which we'll read in a little minute, he got given the nickname Barnabas. And do you know what the name Barnabas means? It means son of encouragement. I wonder this morning, do any of you have nicknames? The thing about a nickname is that it's usually true, you know? So I have a friend and he's called Slim. And you can guess what he is. He's very, very slim. Uh, some of your nicknames, I don't even want to know them. But, but you know, a nickname sticks. And Barnabas, he was given this nickname, son of encouragement, because he was an encourager. He was one who put strength into other people. He was one who saw the good and he encouraged the good. He was a real man of encouragement. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch. And they send him to encourage these brand new Christians in their faith. And if you have a look at the passage, you'll see that he did a great job. It says that he went there to encourage them and he did such a great job that if you have a look at verse 26, we find out that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Barnabas encouraged them in their faith in such a way that they became known in the city as Christians, little Christs. They lived differently. They loved Jesus. They talked about Jesus. They represented Jesus. They offered forgiveness. They lived in a way that was loving and kind and generous. They lived in a way that was totally different from everyone else in the city. The result of Barnabas' encouragement to these new Christians was that they were given the nickname Christian in the city of Antioch. Whenever we read through the book of Acts, we, we see Barnabas in action. And he, he's just a wonderful encourager. And he, and he encourages in a number of ways. And I just want to highlight a few of them very, very briefly. One of the ways he encourages is by bringing a gift. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were trying to get the church organized. And there was a lot of poor people who needed help in the church. And so they put an appeal out, listen, if you want to help, bring a gift to us. And we'll distribute it to the poor and to the needy. And look what it says Barnabas did. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the seals, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And then it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine how encouraging that must have been for the apostles? They'd had this idea. 
We, we need to help the poor. We don't know how to do it. Let's, let's just ask and see if people will bring anything. And, and if they do, then we can distribute it. And Barnabas, he sells a field. And he brings the money and he says, here you go, guys. I have real confidence in what you're doing. Here's the money. Go and use it. Imagine how encouraged they must have been by this gift that Barnabas gave. I had an experience like that whenever I was 19 or 20. Um, I, I sensed through circumstances and reading and, and a desire in my heart that I, I wanted to go to Africa uh, for a short-term mission. And I uh, made a connection with a, an organization called Abana who happened to be in Bangor, my hometown. I'd never heard of them before until this time. And um, they said, yeah, we, we'll accept you on the team, but you need to raise the money to go. And it was about 1,300 pounds. And someone very close to me really discouraged me. <laughs> you know, what do you want to go there for? You'll never raise that money. Just forget about it. So discouraged by their words. But in the church I was going to at the time, uh, there was a man called Andy. And we just got into a conversation just about normal things. And then he said, so any plans? And I said, well, uh, I was thinking about going to Africa this summer. And he said, that's wonderful. He says, that's brilliant. And I said, you think so? He said, yeah, that's brilliant. That'll be great for you. So I was encouraged by his words. And I said, yeah, I know, but I need to raise the money. You need to raise money. Listen, got out his wallet. Here's a hundred quid. That'll get you started. And you've no idea <laughs> the encouragement that brought. Barnabas was one who encouraged by giving gifts and and helping out with practical things. A man of encouragement through giving gifts. And then there was another way he encouraged, and he, he encouraged people by bringing them into community. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we heard uh, Scott preaching on the conversion of Saul. This man who had been persecuting the church, Jesus intervened in his life in a radical way and brought him to saving faith in Christ. And God had actually called him to ministry. But did you know that the door was actually shut in his face? Did you know that? We read about it in Acts chapter 9. So Saul has become a Christian. Jesus has called him to ministry. And so he goes to Jerusalem to learn from the disciples. And look what happens. When he came to Jerusalem, that's Paul, he tried to join the disciples. So I want to join you guys. I want to learn from you. I want to know how to do this. I want to get experience from you. I want to be, you know, your, your apprentice. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Sorry, Saul. We don't believe you. Sorry, Saul, you, you can't join our apprenticeship scheme. Sorry, Saul, not for you. Imagine if it had to remain like that. But it didn't because look what Barnabas did. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas comes, hey, come with me. Come with me, Saul, I'll sort it out. Gets alongside him, brings him to the disciples, brings him in front of the apostles. 
And then look, he told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here was Saul being shut out, excluded, saying, you're not welcome. And what does Barnabas do? He gets alongside, he says, come with me. Come with me and and I'll bring you in to community. How encouraging that must have been for Saul. What else does he do? Well, he, he does another thing. If you have a look at the next slide here, he brings people into service. He gets people involved, and that brings them courage. And again, we see it in our passage. Did you notice what he did? Having visited Antioch, having seen a number of people come to faith, it says in the text, if you have a look at verses 25 and 26, that he went to Tarsus, where Saul was, and he got him, and he brought him to Antioch, and he got him involved in teaching the church. He brought him into service. You see, Saul, after being in Jerusalem, he ended up having his life threatened and he had to flee and he went to Tarsus, back to his hometown. But God wasn't finished with him, so Barnabas brought him to Antioch and got him involved in serving and teaching and discipling the new Christians. How encouraging must that have been for someone who felt that he'd been left out and left behind and was no longer useful. And then Barnabas as well, he he brought someone along for the ride. Mark was his nephew, and Mark was meant to be going out with Paul in the missionary journeys later on, and there was a a bit of a falling out, and Mark was told to go home. Mark would have been so discouraged, but Barnabas says, listen, Mark, come with me. It's all right, come with me. I'll take you with me. Come with me for the ride on what's ahead. But you see what Barnabas does in every situation? Barnabas goes to the discouraged person. He goes and he gets alongside them. And he puts his arm around them. And he says, come with me. (laughs) Come with me. And I'll encourage you. And I'll help you and I'll strengthen you. I don't know about you, but I would love to have the nickname Barnabas. This morning we received the the sad news about Kirker. Wouldn't it be great if at our funeral, when they were giving our eulogy, they could say about us, he or she was a real encouragement to me. Wouldn't it be amazing that that at our funeral, our friends and family gathered there grieving our loss could think in their minds of times when we had greatly encouraged them in our faith or in our life. Wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to leave? The legacy that Barnabas left. Friends, we are commanded in the Bible as Christians to encourage one another. And this morning, I really want to commend and encourage you to obey this command. On Sundays, when you come to church, encourage one another. 
in your workplaces with colleagues who don't know Jesus, encourage them. If you're married, encourage your wife and encourage your husband. If you have children or grandchildren, encourage them. I want to encourage you to be encouragers, to be those who get alongside others and put strength into their lives. Do it with your words. Words are powerful. And let me tell you something. You see a few words, they can keep someone going for ages. I remember recently, a man just said to me, you're doing a good work here, brother. (laughs) You're doing a great work here, brother. Seven words, that was it, seven words. And you've no idea. (laughs) You've no idea how those seven words encouraged me. And it wasn't flattery. It was just this reminder that God's at work here and that encouraged me as a minister. Seven words. (laughs) What could you do with seven words? Could you give someone seven words of encouragement? Could you say a sentence to someone that would encourage them? Because let me tell you, you see just saying that one sentence, it will help them to keep going for miles. One small word of encouragement goes a long way, an awful long way. Don't be stingy with your encouragement. In Northern Ireland, we never want to flatter someone, and that's right, we shouldn't flatter them. Flattering is whenever we're trying to appeal to someone's pride. That's flattery, but encouragement is when we're trying to give them strength. Do not be stingy with encouragement, friends. Maybe encourage someone with actions. Write a card, send them a meal, do something that will encourage them. Write them a note. Take some action, intentional action, and encourage someone with your action. Or just encourage them by being a Barnabas. Just getting alongside them. Just being with them. Just walking with them and letting them know that you're there and that you're praying for them. Do you know, I've never run a marathon, but I was chatting to someone recently who who's running a marathon. And apparently when you run a marathon, it's tough. (laughs) I wouldn't know, but it looks very tough. But running a marathon alone is much more difficult than running it with someone. Because when you run it with someone, when you run side by side, as you run the race together, you can encourage each other on the way when you're feeling and you're flagging. Just having someone present is an encouragement in the race. Friends, will you encourage? Will you be encouragers? How should you encourage in any way, in every way possible? When should you encourage as often as you can? And who should you encourage? Anyone who's breathing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you know how easy it is to be discouraged. And you know the discouragement that each of us are facing just now. Lord, we would pray that you would encourage us through your word as we read it, but 
we also pray that you would start to encourage us more through one another. Father, may you help us to encourage each other on the journey as we follow Jesus. May we be those who, when it is our time and our funeral, that those sitting there could say, they really encouraged me. May that be true of us. And Father, for those here who maybe don't have that tendency, would you help them just to to make an effort and to be intentional with their encouragement? And Lord, for those of us here who are natural encouragers, help us not to hold back and not to be stingy, but through our words or our deeds or our presence, be those who encourage each other. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us to take it to heart and practice it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.